Double Take is an extension of the award-winning movie review show Cinema Classics, which airs Thursdays at 8.01 p.m. on WCBE 90.5 FM, Columbus, Ohio. Hosted by John DeSando, this podcast features additional content and discussion with guests. I'm John DeSando. I'm K.G. Klein. And this is Double Take. We didn't do the... uh... Well, Ken, first of all, We'll congratulate ourselves, of course, because our podcast has been listed uh, as in the top ten that is of uh, NPR. All right, that just, is just wonderful. Yeah, yeah we are yeah. very, very thankful. I'm sure that that uh, goes for everybody else involved in this show. It does. Now let's get down to serious matters here. We are doing a movie today called Drive Away Dolls. Drive Away Dolls. And the very title will tell you how really uh, kinky this movie is. <laughs> and that is a good word for it. That, that really is a good word for it. For me, it's a, it's a, I need someone with your brain to be here because I'm so conflicted about it as a movie. And, and we'll talk about that in a minute if you'll just kind of set, well, start us off. What I want to start off by saying is the, the one area of film that has evolved the most in the last couple of years has been LGBTQ representation. There's been a dramatic change, all for the better, in the amount of LGBTQ interest films that have come out and the representation of the LGBTQ community in film today. LGBTQ is now mainstream, and never more so than with this film. This by Ethan Cohen of the formerly of the Cohen brothers. They right. parted company about four years yeah, ago. And this is his first. This solo. Well, his second. His uh, he did a documentary on well, little was it Little Richard or Chubby Checker, uh, um, right. and and when, when when you see bands parting company, usually they become very prolific because they've got a whole volume of stuff they want to do that they couldn't do because the partner or the other members didn't want to do it, and that really hasn't been the case with the Cohen brother. You know, Joel Cohen did did this Macbeth with Francis McDormand as uh, Lady Macbeth, but that was his sort wife. of his wife. Yeah, and yeah. that was sort of a dead end. It was very good, but I don't see his career going in a direction based on that movie. This is Ethan's attempt to get his career back on track now as a solo director and solo writer. And he's he's dipping into the Cohen mystique here. He is. A lot of the Cohen tropes are very (laughs) present in this. If you've been waiting and holding your breath for a Cohen movie, I I think you can now go and and breathe again. And I think one of the characteristics of this is it is goofy. And what's goofy? One of the goofy things about this is this, it's co-written by his wife Trisha Cook, who is a lesbian. So, so get that one. We'll, we'll just leave that on <laughs> the know, table there. I know, but it, <laughs> I'm not going to talk. Although, if it's a Cohen, I, I yeah. would expect it. So, and this is a lesbian interest movie. It is intended for a general audience, but it is very, very definitely a lesbian directed story. <laughs> um, and and it's it's an homage to the exploitation films of the early '70s. That's what Ethan's really doing with this. But remember, those exploitation films in the '70s had two things going. For them, they were vulgar and they were sleazy. Oh yeah, they were just one step above the pornhouse cinemas. Oh, I know. And that. and and Ethan Cohen cannot do vulgar and sleazy to save his life. <laughs> so this is definitely a huge step up, much more polished, much more professional, much better acted than those uh, exploitation films that he's trying to pay tribute to. And just let me generally say that. Uh, it is, by a lot of standards, very funny movie. I don't find it funny, 
I do find it historically interesting. I think he did a great job replicating and that those cheap movies. Yes. But I'm not sure. I can't even throw myself back. That was just a, a kidster when it was coming out. But uh, of course, we were at that time. We were fant- We were just in love with anything that was odd and sexy and that we couldn't see. <laughs> and those early '70s films were full of that. I mean, they could get away. You could never get away with the dialogue and the language and the words that were used in those movies back in the early '70s. You wouldn't even get a distributor today. Yeah. So you got two lezzies who are uh, on uh, taking a road trip south. Yes, you They're have going south in every way that you could. You possibly. have Jamie and you have Marion. Jamie is played by Margaret Qualley, who we know from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She was she played Pussycat, the actress that held her own against uh, Brad Pitt in those great scenes. And she is over the top physical actress, very much in the style of Margot Robbie, definitely on her way. And this movie puts her to good use. Yeah, so she really anchors this movie. Although yeah. many people are in love with her co-star, and Ma- the character is Marion. You yeah. want to take a stab at that name? No. See, notice, <laughs> notice how I did that. You dodged this that one. This is why we're a top ten. Okay. I just was kind of slowly letting you take that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's make an attempt at it. Her name is Geraldine Vishwana Nathan. We've seen her in a couple of lower budget films already. Now, the, the, the best way to describe what this movie is about is it is about these two, probably 20-somethings, I would say. Yeah. They're both lesbians. Uh, Jamie, Margaret Qualley, has just broken up with her girlfriend as the movie opens and is determined to reset her life and get... Uh, she makes the comment, I don't think love is relevant to the 20th century lesbian anymore. And then she's got her uptight girlfriend, not, not girlfriend, but friend friend, Marion, who is very, very reserved, very conservative, who has decided that she's going to pitch it all and go spend a little time with her grandmother down in Tallahassee, Florida. At <laughs> uh, which point, Jamie immediately jumps in and latches herself onto this trip and says, we're going to take this trip together. We're going to rebuild our lives together. Quali's character, Jamie, is a free lover. Jamie is a free spirit. For what we we were so excited about when we were younger. This is free love. And here's a woman who expresses the joy of sex. And now that we're mating two females, this is outrageous. And they are polar opposites in just about every possible way, except for the fact that they are both lesbians. So how outrageous is it, believe me? Your 13-year-old could go and would probably go ho-hum. <laughs> the, the, the make-out sessions are so pathetically slow <laughs> and uninteresting. They have the, the girls' soccer team, is it? There's a, there's a girls' <laughs> soccer team, and there is a lot of stereotypes at play in this movie. And I, one thing i got to hand it to Ethan Cohen though, is throughout this movie as I'm watching it, I keep asking myself, am I offended? Has he, has he done a stereotype? Has he introduced something that I find offensive? And the answer in every step was no. No, he's doing this for fun. And the thing that saves him is that the men in the movie are much more pompous and much more stupid than the women. And look at, again, he gets it historically correct, because this is the way they were treated in the exploitation movies as well. Yes. They were just plain dumb. Yeah. (laughs) The men are like stormtroopers in the Star Wars movies, whereas the women, who are almost all exclusively lesbians, are all depicted as much smarter, got their game together, know what's going on, and this is what saves this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Cohen has been successful in so many ways. It's just not my kind of humor. I just don't... Ken, I don't think I... I know Wayne had one laugh. 
Oh, now, when you I, get only one laugh out of Wayne. I laughed out loud probably four or five times I through see, this I movie. Think, I knew you would. Um, yeah. I will say, and this is for our audience, this is a movie that you want to watch to all the way to the very last credit. Because at that last second, that last thing up on the screen is a dedication that is key to understanding the whole point of this movie. Okay. So I'm not going to give away. I'm not going right. to you know, reveal anything. But I'm going to say, you're going to watch this movie, and you're going to think this movie is about one thing. But if you stay to the end of the credits, it's not an Easter egg. It's just a dedication. Once you see that, you realize there's more to this movie than you thought there was. Oh, yeah. And, and I have friends who, and I, who have an idea about this lesbian road trip is about, and they just simply won't go see it. Oh, my gosh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, and that's where I find it just so strange for people who say they love movies. I was initially nonplussed, at least, and just looking at it, and I'm always worried about me and comedy because I just am so tough on it, and I wasn't laughing. But I think you hit on what's important to me. I appreciate the movie. I appreciate what Cohen is doing. I appreciate his success in this, even though it isn't my sense of humor. And it's not going to be a movie for everybody. I think the movie is better than some other critics have said. I definitely enjoyed the movie. I thought it now ranks among my preferred Cohen films. There's a lot of Cohen films I'm not crazy about. He can keep inside Desmond well, Webb. Uh, what do you think about Drive Away Dolls? What I think Drive Away Dolls is an enjoyable film. It has several very good funny moments, great performances, particularly by Margaret Qualley, but stay to the very last moment of the credits for a wake-up. Drive Away Dolls. Just like its title, it's Randy, raucous. It, it takes no prisoners in its, uh, in its humor. The men are just truly secondary, which is, I'm glad, this, this, that's an insight women have always had about men. And, well, and that's a saving grace of this movie. <laughs> if you had made this movie where the men were competent, it would come across as offensive in some ways. <laughs> yes. I'll tell you, Ken, though, it was reminding me of how great Raising Arizona was. For uh, Raising instance. Arizona is wonderful. <laughs> and there's a, to me, there was a lot of Raising Arizona in this movie. I thought sti- so too. Stylistic. I mean, not afraid to take chances. To me, it's refreshing to see a director who's willing to put their career on the line and do something really different and really bold and step out there. And maybe it's going to flop. Maybe it will. But at least he made the effort. Yeah. Have you seen any of the box office yet? It's not doing particularly well. It's getting kind of lambasted by critics. It's got a better Rotten Tomatoes score than most critics are actually giving it. It's doing well in some art house theaters, which is where the exploitation films always did well. So, but against um, the mainstream films out there right now, it's not doing too well. And one of the reasons that I immediately went to this, besides the fact that you had said we should watch out for it, <laughs> yeah. and therefore I assigned it to you, knowing that you would do a good job with it, is the very Cohen name. To me, that's gold. And so I was very willing to take on even solo Ethan Cohen, <laughs> and I was rewarded in many ways. My favorite probably Cohen Brothers movie is No Country for Old Men. Which oh, is not, not anywhere near what this is. No, no, no. Probably the darkest of all <laughs> their films. Yeah, I, I mean, that movie is relentless. <laughs> it does not take prisoners. <laughs> my, I would say my favorite is probably Fargo. If you're looking at this one, Fargo is closer. Yeah. I, I always prefer the Cohen films when there's fun, when there's comedy. Yes. Because they can take themselves too seriously. They can become very pretentious and preachy. Yeah. You know, as I said earlier, I, if I never see Inside Desmond, Desmond Llewellyn again, I will be very happy. <laughs> I'm very hit and miss on the Cohen brothers. When they try to do comedy, I'm always very happy with them. When they try to play it straight, usually I, I, I find it tedious and burdensome. 
one of those that probably falls in the category that you're describing would be, for me, the ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, and uh, that, that combines that really kind of absurd comedy. And with some good acting. Some great, like, always, always great yeah. acting in the Coen brothers. Another one for me was Hail Caesar. Oh, yeah. I, yes. I really enjoyed Hail Caesar. Yes, yes. You know, again, all A list actors, whenever they decide to do a movie, there's never any you know, hesitation on the top actors to get involved and do these movies. Well, when I listen to the hyper southern accent, particularly by uh, Mark Crawley. Margo Crawley, yeah, yes. It's very good. And then it's reminding me that I, it took me a few minutes to really begin to appreciate George Clooney in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Clooney so underplayed that. <laughs> and I, 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 I Yes, yes, I, I, yes. Look, I'm sitting there and saying, wait a minute. Besides George Clooney doing comedy? And then after a couple of minutes, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Old Brother Where Art Thou is a classic. There's yes. no getting around the fact. It's, a, <laughs> it's got one of the best soundtracks in any movie. And the idea that the whole movie is based on the Odyssey, right down to oh, the, yeah, to the yeah. details, I, it's just brilliant. And just this, absolutely brilliant uh, film. Our movie today is a little bit of an Odyssey. This it's, one is not. It's a it's a um, it's a road trip. Yeah, movie. Yeah. It's it's a Thelma and Louise. Oh yes, yeah. it is, and that's a good point. It isn't Thelma Louise, but it, of course it's inspired by Thelma. Yeah, Louise. it's inspired Thel- by. Th- it's not as dark as uh, Thelma and Louise. He didn't want to go that direction. Yeah, make no mistake, Thelma and Louise has its lesbian undertones. Oh, definitely. Yeah, you know, but it's not. It's so brilliantly yeah. done. You don't even have to think about that. It's, it is it's casually included in the LGBTQ yeah. cinema, but it is so mainstream that it's not really embraced as an LGBTQ oh, film. It does Whereas not. this one, oh my God, yes, this is a completely LGBTQ film. <laughs> I love the way that he, that Margot Qualley uh, and the other, Marion, how, how the characters develop during the course of the film. Because it really is more Marion's film. We're seeing her coming out of her shell throughout this process. However, we should point out to audiences, this is not just about two women on a road trip. There is a story to this. There oh, is yes. a very classic Coen yes. Brothers gangster story behind uh, it, this movie. It, it, that's why we're reminded of Raising Arizona. Yes. Because yeah. there's the same kind of pursuit of something, and, and these two are on a, a goofy trip. <laughs> they are carrying a, a load they, that they in, don't know inadvertently about. inadvertently ended up with <laughs> carrying a, a, a very, very, very valuable... <laughs> briefcase yes, that I is know. wanted by certain nefarious characters yeah. and they don't realize it until about halfway through the film and then when they open the briefcase you know the eyes open the audience gets this brief moment of what is it what is well they know they're not going to let you no, know they're going to save that for about another 15 minutes and when you do find out it is so pure cohen and you talked about the actors they have coleman domingo Playing yeah. the chief here. Playing the chief. Yeah. And some would say now, considering his ascendancy, it's a waste. But I think it's just a good use of him. I think the Coen brothers never waste an actor. <laughs> I, I don't, I've never seen anybody wasted in a Coen brothers movie, or even just a Coen movie. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to jump out here, since this is the podcast, and we've already said, yes, spoil, we've said we've, spoilers are, we're going to give a little spoiler here. When you stay until the last moment, you see that the last thing on the screen is a dedication 
to Cynthia Plastercaster. Yeah, and tell me who this okay. is. So Cynthia Plastercaster was a member. She was the, 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 the start of a pop art movement that started in the late 60s. Pop artists, usually women, would make casts of the erect members of very famous people, usually rock and roll stars. Cynthia got, rose to fame when her first, one of her first plaster casts was of Jimi Hendrix. And then she would go on to do Jimmy J- James uh, uh, Croce. She would do James Taylor. And she was still uh, doing this up until about four or five years ago. <laughs> Probably somebody that's not familiar to the majority of our audience. You'll really have to look her up to do a little bit of research. But when you see these scenes in the movie, these psychedelic scenes with Miley Cyrus... Yeah, there's a, a yeah. cameo by Miley. Miley Cyrus looking straight looking into, the camera. into the camera with all this psychedelic, <laughs> you know, mod clothing from the '60s. Is she is playing Cynthia uh, Plastercaster. Is she really? Now she says to the camera, "Hey, handsome." Do you want to get plastered? I yes, <laughs> yes. And, of course, Matt Damon plays the, the person who would become famous who is having himself plaster-casted, yes. which would, years later down the road, become a problem when he became a conservative Republican senator running for president and couldn't afford to have this thing out there. But this is a true—now, the, the story of the movie is not true, but the idea that there were people out there, artists— Making plaster casts of these things uh, is completely true. And I give Ethan Cohen a lot of credit, but also I wish he had done a little bit more in the movie to let the audience know what it was that he was doing here. Because unless you stay to the last moment of the credits, it's very easy. You're not going to notice or be aware of what's going on and that this is a real person that he's dedicating this, this story to. Well, but when you find out what's been in the trunk, what's in that case, uh, it, it fits with the very strange, ribald, out there humor of the film. Yes. So, it, right, so you don't yes. have to know plaster cast. You don't necessarily have to know the backstory, right. but it is, I think, titillating oh. and funny that it's actually true. Yeah, no, and I, I so appreciate that. And you know that once I get to about the last minute of a film i'm done yeah i'm almost i didn't i didn't think that you would have gotten to the last moment of the credits i doubt one percent of the audience who's watching this movie actually sticks around long enough to see this dedication on screen and then question who is that and learn that there's this interesting factual story this true story behind the idea for this movie plaster cast the gold that they're all looking for (laughs) is really uh, to me an emblem of that goofy time in the early 70s with those B-movies that you went to a B-movie because it was titillating. <laughs> those exploitation right, movies. Right, yes. it was. Even then, there wasn't anything you'd say, boy, that was a great movie. Oh, never. <laughs> you know, no, never. absolutely never. They were very low-budget movies. They had C-rated <laughs> actors who could barely do any dialogue at all, and they were shot in a couple of days on nothing budgets and thrown out there. Now, what those movies had going for them, though, is there was a lot of nudity in those movies and there is absolutely no nudity in Drive Away Dows. Could the movie have benefited from a little nudity? Probably. This is an area where Ethan Cohen pulled his punches I think perhaps a little too much. No, I think think you're right. Whether that was part of his whole strategy what you expected wasn't necessarily what you're going to get. 
And so we're even, and I mentioned the makeout session, which is the, it's really the funniest. <laughs> it is funny. It is really stupid. And, the, and yet it is a great comment. And oh, so you thought this was going to be exciting sex here? It is not. No, no. Either. Now there is a couple of sex scenes. There's mostly yeah. in the shower that we get oh, through, yeah, through yeah. steamy uh, shower doors. But you're right. Cohen definitely pulled No, he definitely punches. pulled his punches, <laughs> which I, if you're going to do an homage to exploitation cinema, I think you should have gone a little bit further. Further um, than than Cohen did, I do think he pulled his punches a bit too much. And one of the actors who was, I was really surprised, I thought she was quite good, was Beanie Feldstein, played Suki, the cop. Oh yes, she's apparently a staple. She uh, and she has a smaller role, but it's a crucial role, and she knocks it out of the park. <laughs> yeah, when she is on screen, she definitely is a uh, she's dominant. One that didn't get me, and I'm I'm. I, I'm not very tolerant about this, mm. is the, the two goons played by Joey Slotnick and C.J. Wood. Oh, yes. They're almost uh, like, a, a, like a Lenny and George. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> and, boy, and they're, you know, even Evan Gassell or anybody you want to call it, they're just not funny to me. No. They're just yelling no, at it, each other. It, I wish that he had done an effort to make the men a little bit more funny. Yes. I think he was trying to make them too clownish. Yes. And that was, again, to offset the idea that the women are being are all lesbians. He didn't want to make the men appear to have any edge on them. Yeah. But I think he could have done more with the male roles. Oh, I think he pulled it, pulled his punches there, too. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, the only one where I, I did get something was out of uh, Coleman Domingo's role. I got something from that. Well, and I did like Curly. Curly was the guy that runs the counter. Oh, that was that. Uh, he plays it so well. He Bill plays Camp, Bill, Yes, <laughs> he plays that part so well. He's <laughs> Absolutely deadpan. I'm just, and just, he was the one male actor in this movie that I really enjoyed. You're right. Yeah, I, I, and, I, and unfortunately, they leave his story unfinished. I really wish there had been one more scene at the end, maybe an Easter egg during the credits, <laughs> to figure out what happened to him. Because as the credits are rolling, my very first thought that goes into my head after this very funny movie is, what happened to Curly? <laughs> All right, KG Klein, <laughs> I knew you would help me out with this movie, and I'm appreciating it more as I'm talking to you. Because this is not my type of humor, it takes me a while really to warm up to it. But I will have to say in review, I think I did give my own homage to it. Okay. Uh, that he was successful with it. It just hasn't been mine. If you don't see it in theaters, this might be a good date night movie. And one where I don't think you're going to offend. I don't you think you're going to offend anybody. No, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're a boyfriend and you pull this movie out for your girlfriend, I think there's a very good chance that you're going to score some points. Drive away dolls. Drive away dolls. And... and Get it there before it does actually drive before away. Before it goes away. 